Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Regional Master Instructor Marty Miller, here with my great dear friend, fellow Regional Master Instructor, Miss Wendy Batts. How's it going today, Wendy? Uh, it's going great, Marty. How are you? Great. Can't complain. As you can see, different scenery. I'm in LA. You know, it's always like, where am I going to be? But I'll never miss this. Instead of where's Waldo, it's where's Marty. Is that how that pretty, works? <laughs> pretty much nowadays. Pretty much. <laughs> Just if you start calling me Waldo, I may take it personal, but but I understand the concept. I mean it with love. It's Absolutely. it always comes from the heart, Marty. So. I would, exactly, exactly. So yes, I'm out on the West Coast, but here we're going to talk about training for sports. So when you want to kind of maybe uh, give a little tidbit of what we're getting into today. Sure. Well, as you guys know, Marty and I, we work very often with a lot of professional athletes in various sports. And I know one thing that we often hear, especially for trainers that are new or, or coming into working with some athletes, they want to know a lot about their sport. They want to know about movement mechanics, which is all extremely, extremely important. You need to understand what your players do, what the positions are, and what the expectations are within their sport, as well as the demand the minutes that they play, all of that, and for the duration. So therefore, you can work on the best things that are going to help them perform better when they're out on the court field or whatever it is. However, we often hear, too, that they kind of look at it as a coach, meaning you're working on throwing mechanics if they're a baseball pitcher or they're working on certain like different shots and an extension of, of the way that they're, they should aim a ball at the rim which is completely different than what we should really be focusing on as personal trainers to help them with performance. And so I'm really, really excited about this particular webinar because I, I'm hoping that, you know, by the end of this, you guys can kind of take a different approach when you're working with some of these athletes, because most of the time people think they're an athlete, they're used to performing hard, they're at a high level, so they should go to power. When in all reality, it's usually the complete opposite in order to get them to perform at a higher level come the next season. So especially if you have them in the off season. So that's pretty much what we're going to talk about. And I was super stoked when we uh, when we said we were going to do that this week. Yeah, this one I love, too, because going to school uh, originally because I knew my career was over after high school sports. So I got an athletic training because I figured, hey, why not hang around <laughs> athletes? And found out that all athletes get injured. But, you know, how we correlate that into fitness is I had a client, one of my favorite clients ever, such a great person. And I had just come out of professional sports back into training, quote unquote, the general population. And he goes, hey, Marty, how do you train us differently than the athletes? And I said, I don't. And we just I just honestly thought he'd understand that I don't. And we'll get into that. He goes, no, no, no. Seriously. I said, hey, everyone's an athlete. And I explained to him that, you know, my job is to take you through progressions, get you to move better, get you to have better uh, abilities within all these capacities. Now, as Wendy said, at some point, I may have to highly focus on certain attributes and certain things differently. But really, you know, I'm going to train everyone like the athlete they are and not just mimic things. I'm going to take them through different progressions. And we're going to get into a lot of that here, Wendy. But, you know, I like uh, everyone to think that they're an athlete because it opens up their mind for a true linear periodization type of program. And then let's just get the best out of their abilities within the capacities. Obviously, mine will never be the same as some of these elite athletes, but doesn't mean I'm not going to train for it. Absolutely. I'm there with you. I'm an athlete at heart. I, I train Absolutely. hard. Absolutely. <laughs> 
smart though. You train smart. I, I very, yes, I use the model. So of course I do. That's right. Um, but let's go actually and look at, at kind of what our agenda for the day is. And that's basically what we're talking about. We want to talk about the differences between how do you train someone for fitness and how do you train someone for sport? Or really, is there a difference? What approach do, do we take? What approach have we had success with? And then we're going to kind of fill your mind with some of some of those points. And then we're going to talk about, you know, training for specific sports, because there are many sports where you really should load an athlete to help them, um, you know, perform better when it's time for them to report back to camp. And there's often times where, you know, unloading your client makes way more sense because if they can't control what they're already carrying around on a day to day basis without compensation, is it really smart to load them heavily? So Marty and I will, will discuss that. We're going to obviously talk a little bit about athletic injuries. And then we're going to say, again, are you training for sport or is it fitness? And it, we, it, there's a difference, guys. There is a difference. Yeah, difference. <laughs> Moving on. I agree. Why well, don't you take us it, through this? Yeah. So when we discussed this, we wanted to kind of get kind of everybody on common ground. And because there is a lot of confusion in the difference between sport, fitness, et cetera. So let's start this and then we can give our little sidebar story. So sport is an activity involving physical exertion and skill in which an individual or team competes. And to me, that's the key term right there, competes against one another or others for entertainment, where fitness is the condition of being physically fit and healthy. So I can share this because, like I said, and then Wendy, I know you've got your uh, thoughts on this as well. But I went to school for four years coming right out of high school to study athletic injuries. And during that time of those four years, I never had a course that said, hey, this is an absolute waste of time. Athletes don't get injured. And I never had a course that said, you know what, here's the athletic injuries you're going to see, but this sport that's somehow, you know, nobody gets injured in that sport. And I ask this question all the time, like, hey, name me the one sport that's good for us orthopedically. And people say swimming. And I'm like, no, if you look at competitive swimmers, especially now with cupping, you'll see all the cup marks up and down their back. They're overuse. They have a lot of internal rotation, a lot of lat um, extensibility issues, cervical spine issues, the way they do their kicks, they get a lot of adduction internal rotation. So let's just start with we do sports because we enjoy them, not because they're good for us orthopedically. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't do if you are a runner, if you do anything where you're going to change your cardiovascular system, I get that. We are simply talking about the orthopedic movements and demands on sport. And I'm also even talking about non-context injuries. I'm not even putting in the contact injuries. I'm talking about the repetitive motions of throwing a baseball, swimming, jumping, cutting on whatever that is. So for me, athletes will get injured. We know that statistically we can reduce their injuries with the OPT model and all of our assessments. Fitness, I just, this is a me thing. I don't accept injury. So big difference there between sport and fitness. I agree. And oftentimes when I find out what sport they play, I do everything in my power to do the complete opposite. And I think that's the, exactly. I mean, I know we're on slide number technically two, but if, if you want to be successful and help someone, and let's say you have a golfer that comes in and, you know, they're, they're a left-handed player 
And so you got someone like Phil Mickelson that'll go and he'll hit and he'll put and he'll chip for hours on end, practicing different lies, practicing, you know, if you guys happen to watch the Ryder Cup this weekend, I mean, it was, you know, like the positions that poor Rory had to be in for a majority of his, his hits this week. I mean, on, on Sunday, it was phenomenal to see that he was able to get into certain positions and execute as well as he ended up doing. And so when you're looking at all of this, you've got to think, the, the one thing I don't want to do is still mimic that left swing, you know, doing some kind of rotational movement to the left. If, and, and this was the same thing when I worked a lot with baseball pitchers, you've got to think about what it is that they do, because if I continuously work on that same motion, I'm increasing the overactivity of, of that, that particular muscles or those muscle groups that they're using over and over again. And so that's why understanding, okay, this is a sport. And as you said, Marty, this is one thing that they're going to do over and over again, because that's what they're required to do. That's what they get paid to do. That's what they enjoy to do. But that is their, their job. Just like when we're sitting at a desk and you've got, you know, your overload, your desk jockeys, that's their job. A sport is, is someone's job and fitness is supposed to be to, to, to put yourself back into proper alignment. So like you said, move better, feel better, enjoy life, be able to get up and down from chairs, get up, you know, be able to move around without, you know, shuffling your feet, no matter your age or turning around to grab your keys and not blowing out your, your ACL. And so I think all of that is important. And, and to me, there is a significant difference. Um, but you also too, it all comes down. And you said this in the very beginning, Marty, it comes down to the assessments. The assessments should always dictate what you're doing. And it shouldn't matter what level of a person is when they walk in the door, you know, except for obviously you have to use caution if someone's got certain ailments and issues. But at the end of the day, you're going to work on muscle imbalances first if you want them to be able to, to perform at the highest level. No, I couldn't agree more. And again, you know, we'll, we could cover this in any one of our slides, but there are now the sports of fitness. Mm -hmm. So if you do a sport of fitness, whether it's a marathon, half marathon, 5k, and again, we're just speaking here, candidly, professional, professional, we're not against this, but if you want to do CrossFit or a tough mutter or a Spartan race, great. But understand you have become a fitness athlete and it goes back to the chance the, the, the idea that you're willing to do things that are higher risk because that's the demands of the sport, not but that doesn't have to carry over to generalized fitness. And that's where I walk a very fine line. If you want to be a fitness athlete, I'm going to put you through the OPT model, make you the best fitness athlete possible, knowing I'll reduce your chances of overuse injuries. But I'm not going to use the athletic endeavors of fitness for general conditioning if someone doesn't need to be doing that, because why would I put them at risk? Like I don't have my athletes throw a baseball just because I enjoy baseball because it's horrible for the rotator cuff. If it's specific to what they want to do, I will train them for it. So let's just keep that kind of, as we talk about it, when you think about, oh, I love to do that. Well, that's a sport. Understand there is higher risk. Agreed. <laughs> so we, we moved to the next one. I, I personally love this because, again, this is what, when I came out of college, this is what I focused on for the first few years of my career. Mm -hmm. And I had the... Um, the ability to work with multiple people that were coming out of to Tommy John, torn labrums, rotator cuff issues, as well as, you know, hamstring strains and things that are highly seen, unfortunately, in baseball. And one thing that, you know, you want to look at is, is look at the flexibility that these baseball pitchers need and not just in their shoulder, 
but look at, you know, what's happening and the stress that they're being placed on the elbow. Look at like what they have to be able to do with their wrist. And then you have to think too the flexibility and, and the power that they need from their hips, the ability to be able to lean forward and move and produce a, a ton of power to throw, you know, 90 plus miles an hour fastballs and, you know, different curveballs. It's a different approach, you know, approach and tweak of the elbow and the wrist. And, you know, so you've got to kind of to think, okay, why did these injuries occur in the first place? And a majority of the time, it is because they were not trained properly. They didn't have ideal alignment and specific joints and the repetitive and overuse. Now, with that being said, what I'm noticing and seeing more and more of, and Marty, I know you are as well, because you obviously did baseball, is now even in high school, they're starting to put a pitch count max on some of these individuals because they they're trying to minimize the tommy john which that just means it's a reconstruction of the elbow and where they have to go in and take this tendon right here they usually cut it out um if you have it some people are born without this one and they have to take it elsewhere but they'll cut this out and then so you'll see that it looks like they've got three marks right here on their wrist and then they they actually wrap it and make a new secure tendon basically in the elbow um so they they reconstruct that elbow utilizing a tendon from yourself. <laughs> it's it's kind of odd, but the rehab and the amount of time that it takes in order to get back to this level, it's significant. Plus mentally, I think is, is one thing we want to re remind ourselves too, that it's not just performance. You ought to, uh, they obviously have to realize that they can throw again and that won't happen again. Or should and, and he, no, I'm sorry. You're up. And here's the key thing is, if you talk to a pitching coach, they're going to tell you how some of this is amazing form and technique. I don't care what they say. I, I've worked with them. They are a sports specific coach. They're not a biomechanist. So when we look at these images, I could spend an hour just on this because, again, this is the sport that I spent the most time in. But when you look at these arm positions of these players, Wendy, you made a great point, but I'll even add to the great point you made is that look at the flexibility they need, but look at the relative flexibility they need. Mm -hmm. No human being has the external rotation that this guy requires without compensation. It's impossible, mm -hmm. right? So whether he gives it up again, he's wearing his uniform, whether you know he gives it up from the low back or other things, this guy goes into a side bend lateral flexion. A pitching coach might say phenomenal, but from biomechanics, you are stealing range of motion to perform this extreme activity. And this guy's hip internal rotation to the far right. I doubt he has the 45 degrees of rotation he needs because I've been there with a lot of these athletes. Mm -hmm. So again, on a photo from a pitching coach, phenomenal. And, and then Wendy and I are like, oh, right. So we have to condition them to handle these. I don't want to use the word horrific, but horrific ranges of motion with extreme velocity. But that's sport. So again, we don't play sports because we're good for us, but now can we condition this athlete to have least amount of stress within the kinetic chain? Yes. But would I load this motion? No. That's why we have that title there. I wouldn't exacerbate these motions. I would uncover what they need to give them the best benefit to handle the stress of this and the chaotic nature of it and understanding the stability we need, the range of motion we need, the ability to eccentrically or decelerate some of these incredible forces that's more important than grabbing a weighted ball and trying to mirror and mimic this motion so i'm sorry i'll finish this with this so use this and then take it back to the sport of fitness is 
are those I ranges of motion you're going through necessary? And if they are for your sport, understand that it's not natural. Yes. And, and to your point, Marty, I think it's important to really highlight when you said use a weighted ball, I see this all the time in fitness. Oh, you're a baseball pitcher. So they actually make a ball that has like a, a like a metal hook on it where you can hook it onto a cable. And you're going to see people constantly grabbing that ball. They'll get it 90 degrees and they do internal rotation with that, which is exactly what they're doing on the mound over and over and over again. And remember, now they're putting pitch counts on it because of overuse. So they're doing that with their pitching coach. So with you as a trainer coming in and mimicking those same patterns, you're actually increasing the amount of, quote, throws that you have, which is increasing that repetitive motion that can end up leading to injury long term. Plus, it's sometimes very detrimental. And, and I actually had a player tell me this. Some guys will use that weighted bat when they go up and swing and they're trying to warm up and some people choose not to. And so I asked this one particular player, well, how come you don't do that? And he's like, because I don't need that to swing my bat. And sometimes when I have that, you know, it doesn't give me more power. If anything, it makes me feel weird because I'm used to having this loaded thing. And now I've got this lighter bat. And sometimes that throws me off my game. And so when you have this ball that's on this cable and you're throwing, that has nothing to do necessarily with with what they're going to be doing on the mound because they don't stay here. You see the flexibility and then you see the follow through where you're not necessarily going to do that with the cable. A, you could get wrapped, but then why load it? Like to your point, Marty, what, what good is that? If you want to produce more power for that pitcher and you want to actually help them, then actually take the ball, put it lower and do the opposite motion to strengthen the, you know, the posterior chain more, um, especially like, you know, your, your, um, posterior delt and the muscles that are not being used like that in order to, to work on the integrity of the shoulder capsule itself. And you're going to have better outcomes and you're also helping that player minimize the chances of over injury and repetitive use. No. And like I said, I could talk about this for hours. Oh, me too. <laughs> but but to get a better fastball wouldn't be anything with the arm. That'd be the, that. Mm -hmm. If I'm throwing with my arm, we got a world of problems. It's am I making good ground force? You know, using the ground. Have I do I have the right biomechanics through my hips and my pelvis? Then the arm will follow through. There's a lot to it. But again, we're talking about we're going to go through some other sports, so we're not just going to hang here. But you know, we just want you to kind of think about reverse engineering what we tend to see so that way you get better outcomes. So, again, we'll go off baseball now and move forward. But Wendy and I could spend hours just on this one slide. Yes. Well, and, and to your There's point, so as, as, as we move forward, I mean, even this applies to basketball. And of course, now I'm, I'm working more with basketball. But this can go with the baseball pitcher that we just talked about. Think about this, guys. If, if you've got a basketball player, a baseball pitcher, anything. Um, and they're doing the same. They, they shoot their free throws with, you know, obviously they have their, they dribble a certain way. They stand a certain way. A lot of players and including mine, when they shoot, they, their knees go in because that's Kobe did it. A lot of all these people did it. The best of the best did it. That's how they learn to do it. They're not going to mess up what they do on the court because I said, you know what, when you bring your knees in, that's not necessarily safe. But that's how they throw. That's what they're going to want to do. So I have to work around that. So what I have learned is, and you think about the five kinetic chain checkpoints, think about all the biomechanics that Marty and I talk about. 
If you're constantly using one side more than the other, if you're doing a layup a certain way, you're always jumping off the opposite leg and then your hand. If you start to, to work on the opposing side, so if I'm left-handed, I jump off of my right leg and then I go up for my layup. So if I start working on things where they're jumping off their left leg using their right hand, it's super awkward for them and they don't have as much like they're just their flexibility is a little bit different. Their coordination is a little bit different. But if you can realign their body to make both muscles um, or each side produce the same amount of force, when they go and do their daily thing, they're going to run faster. They're going to move better. And you're realigning the hips. And as Marty said, you get power from your hips. That's where it should come from. Um, you know, but but yes, you're going to have to think about the cutting, you know, that, that you look at in the middle picture here or whatever, we all know this, this guard right here is amazing and he can do things that a lot of people can't do, but he works really hard on different positions. So work on movements, work on ideal alignment, and you're going to be able to get him better because he's good at his sport. You're not his coach. You didn't make him good. You're just going to make him better because he's going to be able to move better and feel better and last longer to play more minutes on the court. Yeah. And, and I always looked at it with my athletes and again, everyone's an athlete, but we're, we're talking here about with what's on the slides here is I view it as like a pit crew. Like we drive our car, everyone, every three to 5,000 miles takes their car and gets everything balanced. And, you know, and then they go out and drive again and they bring it back. No one purposely gears their car to veer left or right. Like, well, I tend to take more left turns. So I'm just going to gear my car left. No, nobody does that. So my job with my background and everybody here is my job is to unload the chaos you put into your life normally. So that way you can go back out and do chaotic things because everything's chaotic. You sleep with bad posture. You might sit at a desk all day or you play a sport that's repetitive in one side. My job is to restore you back to as much balance as possible. So then you have a better chance of going out and doing what you do chaotically and then less chance of injury. And the statistics show symmetrical and sufficient. We need symmetry on both sides of the body and we need um, su sufficient amounts of range of motion and neuromuscular control. It's unequivocal that the evidence says that. There hasn't been a research article done that says, hey, the more you load one side of the body and create dysfunction, better outcomes. <laughs> Are you sure? I mean, <laughs> pretty positive, pretty positive. Yeah. Well, and, and I will say if you're training for basketball and you're training, it doesn't matter if they're at the highest level or you've got someone that's just starting. One of the most important joints, Marty, in basketball, what is it? The most important, I would say yes. foot and ankle. Yes. The M first MTP joint. Yep. So the and big the, toe. Yeah. If you don't have, I combined it all. I cheated. You did. That's okay. But, but you're correct. I mean, you know what? If you look where most people are limited especially in this sport. And it's mainly because of the sprains, the strains, you know, coming down wrong over time. I mean, you look at someone's ankle such as Grant Hills. And I mean, you know, they, they said that he was never going to be able to play at a high level after so many injuries, but he was constantly working on better range of motion and first MTP joint getting ideal range of motion. How did we know that they went South? We did assessments on them every four weeks. We reassessed, we realigned, we worked range of motion every single time he was on the table because we were there to really try to get better range of motion had nothing to do with him playing basketball. I don't care how he shoots. I care how he moves because if he's moving good, he's going to shoot better. And that's 
I can't emphasize that enough. As a fitness professional, our job is to realign the body and make it work in its best, the best way possible. And if we focus on the sport, we're really not providing as much benefit as we could to these individuals because we're not their coach. We are their trainer. We're there to make them feel better, move better, reduce chances of injury. And if you focus on, you know, oh, you shoot this way with your knees going in, let's do that movement all day. Well, that's great because when you go out for a layup and you're used to, you know, you're training them with their knees going in because that's how they shoot, then you are increasing their chances of blowing that ACL out when they, you know, and you, I don't know if you've seen it, but was it Livingston that went up for a layup and like, like tore all of his, his um, ligaments in his knee and non-contact. I think yep. that was many years ago. And if many. you haven't seen it, it was very, very gruesome. But yep. um, I mean, he's playing again now, but Sean Livingston. Yeah. yeah. And um, it was, it was, it was awful. And um, it was really mm-hmm. unfortunate. And, and just for clarity's sake, cause I know people might be like struggling with this. We are not saying that at some point in your training, you don't get specific to the sport from metabolic conditioning yeah. and f- speed and agility, quickness, you know, if I'm dealing with a sprinter, they're going to need to go forward very fast. If I'm dealing with somebody that plays baseball, I know they're going to have to shuffle to their right and then open up and take off. So yes, we build those things in, but that's after we've established proper human movement, proper human movement under load, proper human movement at high speed. Then we can get into the intricacies of it. We're talking about the biomechanics of purposely overloading their system with resistance training when you're doing, oh, I got an athlete, so I'm going to mimic a lot of their movements. So we just want to make sure that we clarify that. Yeah, very good point. Because yes, you are going to do whatever you can to get them to power, but you've got to look and that's when you plan backwards too. If somebody Mm -hmm. comes to you, they just finished, you know, I had people that came out of the bubble and they, you know, they just finished, you know, their their, uh, NBA season. And then we had a very short amount of time this year to get them ready to go to report to camp. And it was literally like, okay, we had to count backwards. How many weeks do we have? What do we have to do? What is our timeline? How many days can I commit? Can they commit? And then work their program accordingly. But again, it all was around their assessment. And I will tell you 99.9% of the time with every individual that I've worked at worked with. And again, it can be somebody that's just someone like me that walks into the gym could be someone like Marty and it could be a professional athlete. Their assessment's going to tell me, okay, this is what needs to happen. If there's compensations, I will tell you, everyone starts in phase one or phase two, depending on how they move. And, um, and it, I don't care what sport you play. I care how you move. I always say that so many times. (laughs) You quoted one of my favorite books, Wendy, seven habits of highly effective people. Start with, start with the end in mind, reverse engineer. Mm-hmm. All right. Very good. Let's so move we'll on. move forward. That's right. Hey, what, almost like I knew what was coming. Reverse mm-hmm. engineering. It's one of my favorite things. So when you, you talked about it, I've talked about it, is we have to start with the assessments. We have to know the timetable. We have to know their goals. We have to know the specifics of their sport. And the, the specifics of their sport, try to say that quick, could be predetermination to biomechanical overload. It could be figuring out where they may need mobility that they may not have mobility. It may be the metabolic demands that we eventually want to get to what parts of their body have to accelerate and decelerate. Probably the most important is the deceleration. So we have to focus all of that when we go through. 
But as we reverse engineer it, we still go through the phases in order, right? So we're going to go through potentially corrective exercise or that's their targeted warm up every single day. Then they go through stabilization endurance, then strength endurance. Maybe depending on what time of year it is in the athlete, muscular development, some people do need to put on a little bit of size after a season, max strength and power. So all of these are there. And this was built for elite athletes. But like I said, this fits everybody because everyone's an athlete. So I actually love that process of reverse engineering, but it's not just guesswork. There's a true process on how we build these programs. Indeed. <laughs> I wish there was something else I can add to that, but you're exactly right. And I mean, Marty, well, this is kind of injuries. Yeah. Cause I mean, this is yeah. your bread and butter. I mean, this is, you know, Marty is an athletic trainer and you know, he has said this in so many different webinars that again, we don't play sports because they're good for our bodies. And that is really the truth. We play sports because we enjoy them, but you know, over time, especially think when you run, Okay. In almost every sport there's running with, with the exception of what swimming and there's, I'm sure there's others, but, um, powerlifting. <laughs> yeah. Horseback riding, you know, doing something, you know, what is it? Polo. Uh, but, but, you know, you've got to think about the stress too. What happens at the foot and ankle, if you don't have good range of motion at the big toe, that's going to cause disruption in the ankle. If you don't have ideally anywhere from 15 to 20 degrees of dorsiflexion, just meaning moving your ankle, then you're going to have to get it from your hip. The knee's stuck in the middle. It's kind of the joint that has, eh, it doesn't really have a mind of its own. The ankle and the hip tells it what to do. If your hips aren't properly aligned, then it can actually do something with your lat that attaches to your shoulder. If you've got rounded shoulders and a forward head, decreases range of motion and movement of your clavicle that can mess up your AC joint. Y'all, it could be a mess. It could be a mess. And so someone wrote here golf. Well, yes, when you think about golf, you still have to walk. So it's still the same movement mechanics, just in a slower motion than a run. Um, mm -hmm. So so it really does all when we talk about, you know, um, everything is interconnected and we talk about the five kinetic chain checkpoints and proper alignment and proper, proper movement and range of motion. I do have everyone do that CES targeted warm up because yep. you need to move better. You need to work on overactivity and, and certain muscles, underactive muscles, get everything to function, move, or, you know, ideally together and then start the workout. Yep. And I'm, what I'm really passionate about this is I had to relearn some things. Uh, and I think that's a, a big, you know, hopefully you're willing to, and throughout your careers is when I went to school for sports medicine, we tended to treat the affected injured body part, again, let's assume non-contact. And we looked at joint above and below, but that wasn't enough. I had a player when I was uh, in baseball, he was a right-handed pitcher. His left ankle dysfunction caused right shoulder problems. But we were brought in because they kept treating the shoulder, treating the shoulder, treating the shoulder, treating the elbow, treating the neck. When he, everything was fine until he started throwing downhill. And then you could pick up the biomechanical dysfunction in his lead landing foot. And what happened up the entire chain ended up causing his biomechanical disruption in his shoulder, hence causing the problem. So, you know, again, things have changed since I came out of school where more people are looking at this global approach, which is phenomenal. So don't get stuck on the victim. Look at the robbers, how I like to say it. But the other thing that I'm passionate about is since so many people want to play sports or start to play sports later in life, if they just get into their sport, whether it's recreational tennis or golf or running, I've seen so many people use the sport as fitness, then get injured, then they can't be fit. And then all of a sudden they're this deconditioned person or all these people that were athletes their whole life, all of a sudden they get to 40, 50, 60, and like, I can't move. 
you know, and then they become deconditioned. It's like, what was the purpose? So regardless of where you are in this cycle with these athletes, let's keep them moving well so they can move frequently so they can move for the rest of their life so they can be healthier. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this one hits home to me because Marty, you know, I mean, so my, my father just, just visited this past mm -hmm. weekend and he played golf every single day because he's retired. He lives on a golf course and that's what he does. And unfortunately his wife got sick and he stopped playing golf. And, um, you know, because he was, he was her, her caretaker, which, I mean, I give him kudos for that. But ever since he stopped playing golf, he's now losing his balance. He's not as stable. And, you know, we went to Top Golf to play this weekend and he was losing his balance. He's got pain in his shoulders, things that he never had, you know, never, never had before. And of course, yes, he's, he's older. Um, but as we see this with our seniors, they, you know, when you're retired, it's your time to play. And so we're talking about professional athletes, but I look at, you know, my, my everyday warrior dad who could do anything. And, you know, like you said, if you stop doing certain things, you're going to start to see the decline in, in health. And so it's so important to try to work on proper movement mechanics and keep people moving because as soon as they stop moving, I mean, you know, what kind of life is ahead? And, you know, it's scary to think, you know, when you look at the, the statistics for falls and, and fractures in the hip and things like that with our elderly population as well, um, you know, we're talking specifically athletic injuries in sport, but this can be for every age, guys. Um, you know, it's just you got to keep them working in their fitness and proper movement is important. Absolutely. And as we move to the next slide, you know, as we transition, there's one thing that came out is like female volleyball players, higher chance of ACL tear. If you look at the statistics, if you female tears her ACL at 16, she's, I want to say it's 10 times more likely to get a knee replacement before she's 50. So forget the medical costs. When you start to look at what happens, you know, going through that it's, but again, most of these things are preventable with the right type of training program. So unloading instead of feeding into it. But with that transition, now we've touched on this. We probably don't need to spend a ton of time on it is, are you in a sport training, you know, is, is a competitive sport or is it fitness? If it's generalized fitness, we've done this in other webinars. There are some exercises that you could really question. Do you need to do it? Do I need to have my head jut forward with weight above my head? Do I need to do things that put me in a biomechanical disadvantage long-term? If it's fitness, I say, no, there's enough that I can do. If it's a sport, I'm still going to clean you up and get you moving as well as possible through stability, strength, and power, understanding that when you go to some of these exercises for your sport, there's still a risk, short-term, long-term. And to me, it's just, it's just that cut and dry. It really is. And I, I think, you know, going back to your NASCAR, you know, look at ourselves as the pit crew. We're there to re realign everything, get them functioning correctly. So when they go out back on the track, um, if we're using this analogy, you know, you've got the coach and the actual sport, meaning whatever it is that they're doing to mess everything back up. So when they come back and see you again, you're there to realign them and fix them. And every time you do that, you know, your brain and your body really do communicate really well with each other and repetitive, yep. you know, saying, you know, keep your feet straight, watch your knees, squeeze your glutes on the, you know, draw in on your abs, watch your head. You know, when you're constantly saying that over and over again, your body's like, okay, I finally get it because, you know, it's, it's actually, you're working on proper joint alignment. And if you're doing the right exercises to keep that, then every time they do their sport, they're going to be more powerful. But instead of 
them coming to you as a complete wreck because they haven't seen you in months. If they can keep coming in for, for quote treatment, meaning their workout with you and you're focusing on movement and not the sport, it it's such a better outcome for both. And, and I'm telling you, that's also how you end up building your books. When you get someone to move better and feel better and perform better and play more minutes and do all this stuff and they're reducing like injuries in comparison to their counterparts doing the same motion, they're going to want to train with you. And that's truly a word of mouth is how I built my business. And, and again, I tell all the coaches, I don't want your job. I don't care about your job. I want them to move better because if they move better, they're going to perform better. And that looks better for me. And, and please note, we're not saying don't do the, the sports of fitness. Do it. Go after it. I've done mixed martial arts for years. But when I do my training programs, I build in the things that will keep me doing mixed martial arts with less chance of injury. Throwing a kick to somebody's head is not safe for your own. I mean, it's not safe for them if you land it. That's a different story. But the internal rotation you need on your hip and what you have to do to your spine, it's not safe. But I don't go in there and load those motions. I unload them so I can hopefully do them effectively for long term. But also don't think that we can't put you through tremendous workouts if you're doing fitness. It doesn't have to be the sport of fitness. That's the only way to get unbelievable workouts. We can we can ride those rails either way. Yeah. And if you give them a corrective exercise program to do before they go to practice or before they go to play their sport exactly. and they're warming up the right muscles and everything's firing, you know, appropriately, then you are reducing their chances of injury. Now, granted, if it's a contact injury and you've got a lineman that's, you know, 300 and something pounds, you know, lands on your knee. I mean, yes, that's something that was unpreventable. But, you know, like I said in the basketball example, if you've got someone going up for a layup and they land it with no contact and you tear everything, then that's a, to me, that's a, a, a training, a ton of dysfunction and a lot of inefficiencies going on to where I really do believe that could have been prevented. Yep. Absolutely. In awesome. my heart, in my heart, I believe yes. it. <laughs> same here. Same here. <laughs> help I got me conviction. Help <laughs> exactly. Um, so the key takeaways. Sure. I can go. I'll jump yeah. in here. Oh, go ahead. Well, We'll both get into it. So I'll start. So know your role as a trainer. You're not the coach, Wendy. I think you've talked about that uh, at, at length is we are there to improve human biomechanics and physiological outcomes and let the coach coach. Have your game plan and program accordingly. That's kind of the use the OPT model, reverse engineer, understand what the demands are. When you see something like that baseball player, don't be like, oh my God, that's amazing. I need to load that. Start to think through, is that normal biomechanics? Are they, you know, looking at relative flexibility. And if they are, what do I need to do to give them the best abilities to control that? And then I'll finish here and let you pick up from there. Wendy is determine your programs based on your assessment. Shocker. We have this some way in every part of it is that your assessments are going to lead your program design. Yes. And then, you know, repetitive movements. We talked about this all day, you know, just, just decrease them again. Think about what, it, what muscles are constantly being utilized throughout their sport really focus on the other um, muscles that, you know, that are contributing to, you know, like Marty said, that relative flexibility, just because you're super, you know, flexible, like think of a gymnast, if you can do the splits, that doesn't mean that's necessarily a good thing for the hips, because think about the ball and socket joint and the, the amount of stress. However, that is super, super important for a gymnast. And so, you know, just just be smart in your programming. That, that's what goes along with the second bullet point. You know, and better movement is always going to lead to a better outcome and performance. Always, always, always. 
And if you follow the OPT model, remember, we've talked about it, have a strong foundation. Don't think about, oh, this is a, you know, a performance athlete. I've got to go to power. They've got to be able to throw the ball hard and move quick and do that. They already know their sport. They know their sport. You're not their coach. So that goes with number one, but really focus on proper alignment, better, you know, um, neuromuscular control, better stability, get all the little muscles that protect the spine to fire, then work on the global muscles that move like your spine and you will have better range of motion in your joints. You're going to have better outcome with less stress. And so it's a win-win all the way around. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> and then, um, you know, Marty, I, like I said, this one I loved because I, I, I just, it, it holds true to my heart. This is something that mm -hmm. I do every single day. And I hear people tell me all the time, oh, you, you train athletes. How do you know the differences in their sport? And I'm like, I don't, I don't care. I look at their assessment. I go through movement and then I plan accordingly based on what yep. they need to do, setting realistic, smart goals, and then making sure that I listen to them and I work with their, their crazy schedules. Because remember, different sports, they have practice in the morning. Like if you're going to do basketball, you have shoot arounds in the morning, then they go and work with their shooting coach and their, their, uh, SAQ coaches. Then they go and see their, their team. They're doing three, you know, three hours of pickup games. And then they're coming to see you for an hour, 90 minutes or whatever. That's a lot of time. And that's only in one day. So it's a lot of stress and there's a lot of demand. So just be smart. So anyway, Nope, <laughs> so if, if well you want to find me, yeah, if you want to contact me, you can email me at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And then my information is there, marty.miller at nasm.org. And then Instagram is dr.martymiller72. And if there's any topics you guys want us to cover, shoot us an email or hit us up on a direct message on Instagram and we will be happy to, to consider those topics and dig into that. And then Wendy, we talked about Optima. Optima is around the corner. So if you want to maybe give a little tease on that. Yeah. As you guys saw in the opening video, guys, it is going to be free to view this year. So we hope to just have you go to nasm.org, look under Optima, sign up so you can join us in the sessions. We have unbelievable uh, presenters and Marty and I are actually going to talk in one of these upcoming webinars, just a little bit about some of the presenters and some of the stuff you guys are going to have access to. And Marty, did I say it was free? I think I, I think you did. It's free y'all. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so, it's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much for attending. And as always, we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks, Wendy. Thank you.